Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Today, we are discussing the final chapter of the book, chapter 15, in which Hill very clearly gives us an understanding of the six ghosts of fear. He's listed it out in the previous chapter, and he has uh, time and time again reiterated them. But in this chapter, he not only gives us a lot more detail about them, but also tells us why these uh, fears, if they stand in our way, prevent us from reaching um, a wealthy life. And he also gives us symptoms of these, uh, ties it back to his time, and there are certainly uh, examples of these fears in our times in the 21st century. Um, and it is a very revealing chapter, and it's, and it's very fitting to place it right at the end. The chapter number 15, how to outwit six ghosts of fear. He starts by saying, take inventory of yourself as you read this closing chapter and find out how many of the ghosts are standing in your way. Before you can put any portion of this philosophy into, into success, your mind must be prepared to receive it. The preparation is not difficult. It begins with study, analysis, and understanding of three enemies which you shall have to clear out. These are indecision, doubt and fear. Indecision is the seedling of fear. Remember this as you read. Indecision crystallizes into doubt. The two blend and become fear. The blending process often is slow. This is one reason why these three enemies are so dangerous. The reminder, or sorry, the remainder of this chapter describes an end which must be attained before the philosophy as a whole can be put to use. It also analyzes the condition which has, but lately, reduced huge number of people to poverty, and it states a truth which must be understood by all who accumulate riches. Do not be deceived by the habits of these subtle enemies, the enemies of indecision, doubt, and fear. Sometimes they remain hidden in the subconscious mind where they are difficult to locate and still more difficult to eliminate. So let's first look at the six basic fears. Now, this chapter is rather long, so I've decided to split it into uh, three parts. Each part will cover two um, basic fears. The, the two that we will cover in this episode are the fear of poverty and the fear of criticism. In subsequent episodes, we will cover the fear of ill health and the fear of loss of love of someone, and then the fear of old age and the fear of death. He says, fear are nothing more than states of mind. One's state of mind is subject to control and direction. Everyone who deals with the human body, from physicians to psychologists, to even people who write books like these, understand this. Man can create nothing which he does not first conceive in the form of an impulse of thought. That is why the, first, the very first chapter of this book was called The Power of Thought, in which he tried to very immediately tell us that thought is where everything starts. If, you, if your thoughts are fearful, your actions are fearful, and the implementations of those actions will inevitably be one based in fear rather than one based in desire. Nature has endowed man with absolute control over but one thing, and that is thought. This fact, coupled with the individual fact that everything which man can create begins in the form of a thought, leads one very near to the principle by which fear may be mastered. 
if it is true that all thought has a tendency to clothe itself in a physical in its physical equivalent it is equally true that thought impulses of fear and poverty cannot be translated into terms of courage and financial gain let's begin with the first fear the fear of poverty there can be no compromise he says between fear of poverty and riches the two roads that lead to poverty and riches travel in opposite directions starting point of this path that leads to riches is desire in chapter 1 you receive full instructions for the proper use of desire in this chapter on fear you have complete instructions for preparing your mind to take this, to take practical use of this desire he says and this is very important as placed in 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 the outcome of this chapter if you demand riches determine what form and how much will be required to satisfy you you know that the road the riches lead to you have been given a road map which if followed will keep you on that road if you neglect to make the start or stop before you arrive no one will be to blame but you this responsibility is yours no alibi will save you from the responsibility if you now fail or refuse to demand riches of life a state of mind is something one assumes cannot be purchased it must be created and i'd like to add it is not something you are born with if you are born with a weak state of mind if you are born with a fearful state of mind if you are born with a state of mind that does not gravitate automatically towards riches that can be cultivated one of the ways is by listening to books like these is by reading books like these there are several other ways to do so fear of poverty he says is a state of mind nothing else this fear paralyzes the faculty of reason destroys the faculty of imagination kills off self-reliance leads to uncertainty wipes out enthusiasm and makes self-control an impossibility the fear of doubt is without doubt the fear of poverty sorry is without doubt the most destructive of the six basic fears considerable courage is required to state the truth about the origin of this fear and still greater courage to accept the truth after it has been stated the fear of poverty he says grew out of man's desire to economically dominate other people nearly all animals lower than man are motivated by instinct but their capacity to think is limited therefore they prey upon one another man with a superior sense of intuition with the capacity to think and to reason does not eat his fellow bodily does not eat his fellow man bodily he gets more satisfaction out of eating him financially our way to understand this fear is by self analysis this form of examination is essential to all those who demand more than mediocrity and poverty remember as you check yourself point by point that you are both the court and the jury the prosecuting attorney and the attorney for the defense and that you are the plaintiff and the defendant only a courageous analysis will disclose the presence of this universal enemy when you begin such an analysis search deeply into your character now what should you look for when you do search deeply into your character there are several things um, for instance in terms of sim- symptoms of the fear of poverty he says indifference probably this this is the most important one the one that i associate with commonly expressed through lack of ambition willingness to tolerate poverty acceptance of whatever compensation life may offer without protest 
express through alibis, procrastination, whenever you're dealing with anything. Worry, an excessive need to worry, even though worry is immediately not warranted, or worry is part of the process, not the reason to stop the process. Overcaution, the habit of looking for the negative side of every circumstance, despite a positive side being right there in front of you. Procrastination, the habit of putting off something until when it's immediately due. Bargaining with life for a penny instead of demanding a pound or demanding prosperity, opulence, riches, all of this, all of these points are important. Now let's move on to the second fear, the fear of criticism. Some believe that the fear of criticism, criticism made its appearance about the time that politics became a profession. Others believe it can be traced to the age when women first began to concern, concern themselves with styles and wearing apparels. Now, both women wearing apparels and men wearing apparels or people buying various possessions like cars and watches and other clothing items are means to signal status. We see this in the Indian society with maybe gold around one's neck, a big fancy house or something like that. But these are inevitably a need to signal one's status. The author, he says, being neither a humorist nor a prophet, is inclined to attribute basic fear of criticism to that part of a man's inherited nature, which prompts him, which prompts him not only to take away his fellow fellow man's goods and wares, but to justify his actions by criticism of his fellow man's character. The fear of criticism takes on many forms. In the form of buying clothes in order to signal your status, in order to buy automobiles, even though uh, just because one has come out, the biggest one you see nowadays is the need to buy phones um, immediately as one comes out, even though an old phone works just as well, if not better. Uh, and, and the need to simply buy an extra uh, phone, a phone with an extra camera, for instance, is a, mean, a means to signal that I have this and you do not. He says, he gives an example, the manufacture of automobiles changes styles of models every season. No man wants to drive an automobile which is not in the latest style, although the older model may actually be a better car. Now, just, just remember, he's, he's writing this book in, in, in the 1940s, where, automobile, uh, where automobiles weren't of the highest caliber, where the difference between one and the other uh, might have been very, very, very less. Um, Still, people were inclined to buy various types of automobiles. Now we see a range of automobiles, a range of several status-based possessions that everybody wants to have, and, and they want to. And the only reason they want to have this not is not it's not because of the utility it signals. It's because of the status it signals through the value it holds, or the value that you think it holds. Because why does the average person, even in this day of enlightenment, shy away from denying the belief in the fables which were the basis of most religions a few decades ago because because of the fear of criticism men and women have been burned at the stake for daring to express disbelief in ghosts it is no wonder we have inherited a consciousness that makes us fear criticism the time was and not so far in the past when criticism carried se severe punishments the fear of criticism robs man of his initiative destroys his power of imagination, limits his individuality, takes away his self-reliance and does his damage 
in a hundred ways. Parents often do their children irreparable damage by criticizing them. Um, we saw this firsthand when, I mean, when I was uh, volunteering at, at a place which taught young children, one of the first things that they said was, do not compare a child to the other. I do not compare. And in several books you read, it says, do not compare your life to someone else's, your phone to someone else's, your car to someone else's. Because the means of comparison is, is always uh, the incorrect route to take because you don't know what went into purchasing that phone, automobile, whatever it is. There are several symptoms of the fear of criticism that we must identify. First, self-consciousness expressed through nervousness, timidity, and meeting strangers. Lack of poise. Lack of voice control, nervousness in the presence of others, poor posture of body and memory, personality, lack of firmness of decision, personal charm, ability to express opinions, inferiority complex, the habit of expressing self-approval, using big words to impress others, imitating others in dress, speech and manner. And again, I see this very clearly in myself while um, writing. Uh, that's how I make, make my bread and and if there's a need to write, there's usually a need to write in two ways. One is using the simplest words possible and the other is using big words. Big words is usually written to signal your self sense of knowledge. Smaller words are usually written to signal your need to teach. And the former is used as a symptom of the fear of criticism. Another one, extravagance, the habit of trying to keep up with the Joneses or just keep up with the spending culture, lack of initiative. And the final one, perhaps the most important, lack of ambition, mental and physical laziness, lacks, lack of self-assertion, slowness in reaching decisions and easily influenced by others. This is the last of the symptom of the fear of criticism. That's it from this chapter. In the next chapter, we will be discussing the other two fears uh, that Napoleon Hill listed out in his final chapter. So this, by all estimation, will be the penultimate, if not the third from last chapter of this book. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's any way I can improve on this podcast, please do let me know. But that's it from me. I will see you next time.